Good day and welcome to this week's episode of I Want to Speak with the Principal. As always, I'm honored to share this platform with my co-host, the amazing and dynamic Mr. William Jeffrey. A key role of a building principal in modern times demand knowledge, commitment, and leadership of technology in their school. Embracing the use of technology in classrooms establishes the principal as one who advocates change and understands the benefits of lifelong learning. To elevate the use of technology in school, it is imperative that principals are comfortable with using and modeling this tool. There are several ways to do this, using email, websites, preparing reports illustrated with graphs and plates embedded in presentations, using student data information, and manipulating devices to complete teacher walkthroughs and evaluations. The principal clearly sends the message throughout the learning community regarding his or her emphasis on technology when they themselves engage in its use with students in the classroom. In today's episode, we will discuss the inclusion of digital technology in schools and how school leaders should carry the banner for students' technological literacy. So sit back, relax, and join us for this week's sessions of I Want to Speak to the Principal. Hey, good morning, Doc. Hey, good morning, Will. How you doing today? Man, I am doing fantastic. And yourself? I'm doing great. That is good. You're looking good. Hey, man, I try. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> you, you know, you looking good, too. Well, for old man, you know, I'm trying to <laughs> hang in there. Hey, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> hey, man, so this is our Catching Up segment, and uh, you had a very interesting weekend last week. I certainly did, man. I had the opportunity to attend the Alpha Kappa Alpha, a.k.a. 68 Boulay. Uh, here in Houston, and I tell you, it was a sight to behold. The AKAs did a fantastic job. Amazing. So, I mean, on top of that, you guys set a Guinness World Record um, at the Boulay, correct? Absolutely, man. There was almost 20,000 people uh, all eating together, AKAs, eating together in the George R. Brown Convention Center. First of all, I didn't know that that convention center could hold that many people, let alone hold tables. That right. Also. right. It was an amazing event to watch it on the news. I I, I knew you were there, but then yeah. just to know that you guys were there, like, right. that's amazing. Right. And we have a special guest today. Yes, we do. And we have Annie, and a.k.a. And he just happened to be my beautiful and lovely wife, attorney Kim Milstead. And uh, she's the reason that I was there. So uh, we are happy to have her on, and uh, we're going to ask my wife to just, Kim, if you would just give us some takeaways from the AKA convention. Amazing, speechless. Um, We installed our new international president, Madam Supreme, Dr. Glenda Glover. She currently serves as the uh, president at the Tennessee State University. Oh, the other TSU. Yes, yes. Southern, (laughs) the other TSU. (laughs) Yes, uh, they actually had their band to come in uh, as a part of her introduction of our new uh, programs. Uh, Implementing initiatives under her, her theme will be exemplifying excellence through sustainable service. Um, That's a mouthful. Yeah. Uh, But she's... uh, designated five uh, program targets. One, uh, her first program target is the HBCU for Life, a call for action. And this program will partnership with uh, HBCU universities and provide them with scholarships. And what was amazing, 
she actually uh, made the very first donation out of her personal funds, a $50,000 check. Boy, that's a lot of money. $50,000 is a lot. Yes, it's going to go in. First three weeks, that's two, three years salary. (laughs) (laughs) And that will go under the AKA Educational Advancement Fund. And her uh, second initiative is Women's Health Care and Wellness. And in that piece, she provided every registered SORA, which we said 19,000, they will receive uh, ACA bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, It'll be AKA's own design Fitbit. Get out of here. Yes. And uh, my chapter, the Sugarland Walk Group, we started our walking on this past Tuesday. So it was it was exciting. Uh, She's going to we're doing a virtual walk with her for the next eight weeks. Wow. Uh, so she's gonna be losing a lot of weight, sound like. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is really fitting for the topic of our episode. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. using technology, oh, technology integration. Yeah, so I, yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, I, I like that. Yes, uh, and the 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 third one is building your financial legacy. And in this piece, she's talking about the Soros themselves building a financial legacy for themselves and their family. Uh, we're not thinking about AKA because, as we know. We, we earned about 30 million right here in yeah, Houston. So left, we, left we, right in Houston. Yeah. <laughs> we, we're in pretty good shape. So she's, she's talking about building financial wealth for Soros, and that excites me. Uh, the fourth point is the arts. Going back and bringing back some of those arts in those institutes that we've mm-hmm. forgotten over the years, uh, bringing those back. And our final one is global impact. And we'll kick off our global impact in, in August with the International Day of Prayer. Okay. We'll start that piece. And I'm excited about that when we consider what we're going through right now. Prayer is always a good thing. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like you guys got some real good initiatives. That is fantastic. Don't just tell me. Uh, now, where did you pledge at? I pledged at Prayer, Prayer View A&M University, Fall 81 and Zeta Gamma Chapter. I was on the line Luxurious 11. I was number seven. Oh, OK. Wow. All right. Prayer View. <laughs> you know what? I knew I liked her for a reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah she once you were a proud uh, Panther. Yeah, you will never go back. Prayer Prayer View producer productive people. Yes. I'm a Prayer View graduate also. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, you guys are really good with me. <laughs> really good with me. Yeah. Now, what what chapter are you currently in? Uh, currently, I'm in the Xi Alpha Omega chapter here in Houston. Okay, you want to send a shout out to any special people out in the Xi Alpha? Well, first of all, I have to send a, send, send a special shout out to my sister-in-law, Linda Knight Berkeley. She pinned me okay. some many, many, many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Cool. That is. That is. Cool. That is. Well, the Omegas were in New Orleans. All right. Shout out to my frat brother, q Uh They were in New Orleans. We didn't... Uh, we did a whole lot down there, but not quite as much uh, as they did here. Records, we, ain't, we ain't set no records. <laughs> and, uh, but the bruh showed out, though. <laughs> so that's good. That's great. I, I'd just like to add her, her signature piece, in which I feel is near and dear to me just because of the relationship that I have with my husband. Her signature program is CAPS, College Application Process. This program is designed to assist students in their efforts into entering college by providing hands-on approach that includes all steps with regards to researching various colleges and just being there to help walk them through the process because many of them don't have that involvement at home. Some may be their first generation college students. So this one is really near to me um, because I, I just know the importance of it. 
Yes. Yeah. Great. So, uh, yes. Yeah, that is great. That is great. Well, it sounds like the uh, AKs are doing some great things, not only in the city of Houston, but across the country. And we're going to encourage all AKs and all the sororities and fraternities to keep up the good work and uh, continue to uh, su- provide support and leadership in their communities. Exactly. I guess we better go ahead and get started uh, with our session. Yes, sir. All yes, right. sir. Technology integration. Okay. I want to thank you, Ms. Millstead, for uh, your lovely insight, and I wish you the best in your initiatives with your uh, sorority. Counselor, thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you. Uh-huh. Let's talk about technology integration from a historical perspective. Okay. Uh, uh, tell me, um, in this profession for the last 30 years, the last 30 years of your mm-hmm. career, uh, how much has technology integration changed? Well, Will, the, the use of technology in the classroom to uh, enhance and support student learning has had uh, a tremendous growth in the past three decades. Uh, I can recall back when I was a teacher, man, we used to, uh, my, my class, we used to use punch card system wow. to get printouts of their work. You know, then we transitioned from that to um, the, the floppy disks. Uh, then uh, I guess now we have uh, the the uh, the flash drives, and um, and and now we're we're in gigs. I understand the the iCloud. Yes, right yes sir. We're in the cloud. In now. the cloud now. In, in, we're in the cloud. Okay. We're in the cloud. And I know we shared this offline, mm-hmm. but sixty percent of Americans believe that if it rains or a thunderstorm, you can't <laughs> save information to the cloud. Okay, well, well, I don't feel so bad now in my technology because <laughs> I, I did know the cloud was, you know, being used to technology and, and not the physical cloud. Right, 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 so, right. Yeah, right. You know, we would also, you know, not to mention like, all the changes we've had in hardware, with, you know, with the cell phones, the iPads, the Interact board, virtual re- uh, reality devices, the holograms, you know, so on and so forth. So there's been tremendous growth uh in um in technology use over the past 33 years you know i think the importance in, in the future of technology was was really highly depicted in the movie uh, black panther you get a chance to see that oh man i saw it twice oh uh, okay yeah well, <laughs> i saw it twice i bought it so i really <laughs> like it yeah so, you know in that movie man it, what it does is um it suggests that the entire wakanda society was dependent on digital uh technology and you know it's much like we are today here in the, in the, in the united states yeah you know, it's almost uh, rarely, if ever, do you see anyone um, that does not have a cell phone or not using their phone in some capacity or using technology in some way in order to enrich and better them their lives. You know what? And to just point out some of the good things about that movie, uh, I, I like the fact that the technology was not in the way of people doing what they needed to do. Right. right? Exactly. So the technology that they were using um, was for to make them uh collaborate better mm-hmm. they were communicating better with the technology it wasn't mm-hmm. something that people had to fumble with right and i think that's i think that's one of the goals of schools today with the use of technology to make it as a seamless transition make the kids so comfortable with it uh that it just seems second nature to use the technology and i think i really think that's a good thing so let's look at the transition teachers have to transition if i started teaching 30 years ago and i did not embrace um switch from the typewriter to the computer mm-hmm. okay 
I'm surely probably won't uh, make that switch from the computer to the digital digital age is where we are now. So can you give me some perspective on why do you think it's so hard for some teachers to change? Yeah, okay, I, yeah, I understand. You know, I, I believe it's the role of the principals to lead the school and to change. Uh, in order for this to happen, the principal must be skillful, analyze, and predict how the change will impact those who would be affected by it. See, mm-hmm. A lot of times, man, you got to kind of forecast some of these things with the people that it's going to impact. Uh, you know, the principal must construct and manage a plan of action that minimizes the uncertainty and, uh, and oftentimes uh, accompanies change. With that being said, I believe there are, there are several factors that cause you know, one to resist change. Uh, one, giving up control of the classroom. You know, teachers, that's our classroom. We don't want to give up that control to anybody, particularly uh, 35 students you know, exactly. moving around. Uh, Sometimes teachers have the lack of uh, preparedness and technology from the college. They're uh, undergrad, sometimes a mass program, really haven't prepared them uh, with educational technology in order to assist the kids that they, in the way that they need to. Mm-hmm. That could be uh, the lack of consistency in leadership. As a principal, uh, one principal may come into a school and his whole focus may be on, on technology for a couple, three years or so. Then that person leaves and someone else says, well, you know, okay, I think you guys know enough technology. We're going to focus on some other things now. We're going to focus on uh, the, uh, discipline or we're going to focus on, uh, you know, getting parents more involved in their kids. So the, right. the emphasis of the leadership may change. Uh, lack of professional development. Uh, sometimes when the teachers aren't, uh, aren't trained uh, uh, appropriately, uh, that causes them uh, to have some anxiety and, and not any familiarity with the, uh, the technology, then they don't feel comfortable in using it. Right. And uh, then uh, finally, a lot of times, you know, teachers just don't see the need to change. If you've, uh, if you have, uh, most teachers that have taught for quite some time, they've been successful. Kids have done fairly well uh, on state standardized tests, gone on to college, so on and so forth. They may not see the need to uh, to include technology or anything else different in the way that they've taught and teach their class. While at ISTE 2018, I had a chance to catch up with two really amazing fellows. One was Dr. William Dayenport from The Dr. Will Show and Tony Weaver of Get Media Lit. Take a listen as they tell you about their experiences at ISTE 2018 and technology integration. I'm standing here with the man, the myth, and the legend, Dr. Will. Dr. Will, introduce yourself to our guest. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Will. DM Ports. I am affectionately known as uh, Dr. Will. I'm an instructional uh, technologist, podcaster, and I do some consulting. Okay, Dr. Will, the name of this show is I Want to Speak to the Principal. Okay. And I know you have had many dealings with principals in your role. Uh, from your standpoint, what is the most important thing when it comes to integrating technology and instruction? What is the most important aspect that should happen? Have a plan. Uh, don't just buy devices, put them in a class, and expect them to be used, or to expect them to be used in a transformational way. Uh, number two, think outside of the box. The problem is people buy a lot of these 21st century tools, but they still using 
20th century, 19th century pedagogy, and you're trying to fit that tool, this learning management system, this device into that old teaching model of I'm going to lecture for 40 minutes, here's some worksheets and all those things, and that's not transforming teaching, that's not growing your, your teachers, and that's not giving students ownership of the learning. So you want to make sure that you actually have a plan for what you want to do with the technology and not just leave it up to the teachers and make sure that plan includes actual transformation of what you expect to be done in the classroom. Okay, so I'm going to play dumb. Yeah. What is transformational knowledge, uh, teaching, what does that look like? Well, when people talk about blended learning, let's just keep it simple and say centers. Everybody know what a center is. Everybody know what a center is. Everybody know what a center is. Hopefully, everybody knows. Well, if you don't know what a center is, I don't know how you got your license. <laughs> uh, that's a joke. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> so basically, let's start there. Because we know that whether you use NWA or some other diagnostic for your data, out of those 28 kids you have in your classroom, you could have several writ ranges or several uh, ranges of what your kids are. So don't have your lesson be 45 minutes of a teacher lecturing and then hand off a worksheet. That's ineffective. So what you want to do then is have that teacher open up a lesson for 15 minutes or do a recap from yesterday and then break your kids off into groups. Now, using the technology, whether you use a learning management system or other tools, now your students can actually start to apply things and write. Your students can, instead of saying, hey, uh, write this standard essay. Have your kids write a blog post. Have your kids write a reflection of what did you do over the weekend, or what did you do on vacation, or what do you want to do when you grow up. Have these kids sort of write from an authentic perspective and then as kids are sort of going through the different stations, you'll still have your time as a teacher to give that 15-minute targeted instruction to actually meet students where they are. And then you want kids to actually start creating. You know, So for example, one of the teachers that I've worked with, instead of having her students do the normal little diorama for uh, her biology class for biomes, her kids actually made what she calls survivor videos. So she said, okay, as a group, the tundra would be your biome. The, the desert would be your biome. And they actually created videos of, we took off on a plane. Oh my gosh, we crashed. This is what we need to survive in this biome. And so kids had to not only research it, but they talked about it. Oh, look, it's a desert. We got to go find some water. We got to do this. And so the kids took ownership in it because she did not tell them what to do. She just said, okay, you do this, you run with it. She also had students teach. Okay, you're going to teach about this biome. And the kids took it upon themselves to either create a Kahoot or do a Quizlet Live or, or whatever. But they had to teach the lesson and to do the assessment themselves. And she became, she, I'm assuming that she had a rubric where she was checking off yes. what the students were doing. Yes, yeah. yes. And then after that, when she could get a feel and temperature of the room, and once that over, she could pull them all back together and say, okay, this is what I see, the, the missing piece. And then she can go ahead and dive into instruction there. That is a much easier teaching day. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, Dr. Will, you have a podcast that has been running for a very long time. Um, you are a edu Twitter star, I guess if that's what you want to call it. Poor man. 
Edgy Store. So you are well known. Um, let's talk about where we can find your podcast and some of the consulting work that you do. I am uh, on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you just do a search for the Dr. Will Show, you'll see me there. Uh, you know, consulting, I, I've done stuff on uh, blended learning. I've done stuff on Google, uh, personal learning networks and things like that. Uh, what I'm hoping to do now is talk about the whole digital transition of understanding when you go digital, what does that mean? It's not about putting a device in every kid's hand. Uh, though I mentioned centers, it's not even about, okay, how are we going to set our centers up? But mentally, what does it mean to now create a digital environment? Because not only do kids, you want kids to create and not just become consumers, but you also want the technology to become ubiquitous right no one goes home when they watch Netflix and think about the technology behind Netflix are you doing this I got my phone out I got my TV I'm watching the Netflix movie the only time you think about it is if something wrong with your Wi-Fi and it start circling and then you go oh my gosh what's going on but outside of that you're just watching a movie anywhere and that's how the technology is should be where it disappears and that's what I want uh, to, to work with schools and with in making the technology disappear uh, because they are <laughs> being, you know, transformational with it. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Dr. Will is so famous. He got people saying hi to him in the middle of the podcast. It's all good. I told y'all he was an edgy star. Uh, Dr. Will, um, we can also find you on Boxer in some places, right? Yes. Okay, what, what boxer communities do you recommend before I let you go? Uh, as you always great. You know, Dr. Sarah Thomas has created a phenomenal movement there. Uh, Passoscope EDU, as for those people who want to live stream all the wonderful things going on in their classrooms and sharing. And then there's the Teachpreneur Group, as for those educators who want to make that change and they want to learn how to monetize what they're doing. <laughs> Dr. Will is active in that group, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, well, Dr. Will, I want to thank you for taking the time to be on I Want to Speak to the Principal, and I hope to see you around. Yes, sir. All right, thank you, sir. Thank you. Okay, I'm standing here with Tony Weaver, and Tony is going to introduce himself and speak to I want to speak to the principal okay. podcast okay Tony tell us a little bit about yourself my name is Tony Weaver jr. and I want to speak to the principal <laughs> oh man hey we hear that a lot hey, I'm, I'm ready let me speak to them please uh, I'm the founder of an organization called weird enough productions and at weird enough we use superheroes and comic books to teach middle and high school students how to combat fake news uh, what we've done is create this program called get media lit uh, that combines media literacy, 21st century skills, digital citizenship, and traditional literacy, along with some socio-emotional learning competencies, into a nice superhero-based platform that only requires about 30 minutes of use from teachers a week to be effective. Uh, so we have this library full of comics and uh, graphic novels uh, based on a team of diverse superheroes called The Uncommons that we use to teach kids how to combat fake news, how to identify media bias, and how to create media content of their own to uplift their communities. Excellent. Now, why did you choose this as a way to combat fake news and give a voice to uh, diverse characters? 
I think uh, well, my, my guiding belief as an individual, but also with my organization, is that media is the most powerful infrastructure for social change in the history of mankind. The average American engages with media content over 10 and a half hours a day. Over 95% of American households have at least one television. We have a massive opportunity to spread positivity and change on a systemic scale. That's not how media is being used right now. We're deceiving people for political gain, we're exploiting people's insecurities to sell products, and we're peddling stereotypes for ratings. So I looked at that and I said, we are wasting this tool. We are wasting this powerful gift that we've been given. Uh, so through positive representation, we can show students how amazing they can be. And then with media literacy, we can teach them to stand in that power and use it to create change in their communities. So we're not just teaching them how to be conscious media consumers, we're also teaching them how to be media producers. Uh, so I'm saying we're going to break down the major forms of media and how they're made, how that revenue takes place. We're going to break down all the different forms of persuasion that people use to get you to buy products. And now, with the toolbox that I just gave you, use that for good. Use that to fight homelessness. Use that to fight bullying. Use that to create your art. Use that to advance your career and college opportunities. So I know that social activism yes. um, is one of the undertones here at ISTE. Um, there are a lot of uh, what happened with the school shootings and what happened there are a lot of young people who are starting to take a stand in activist roles that traditionally have been ignored up right. to this point right. so how do we incorporate that into the classroom right without you know really just offending people Tell me, how, what's your avenue to get that in the So my personal opinion, I think media literacy is the way to get social activism into the classroom. Because the same tools that are used to analyze media in order to analyze messaging can also be used to analyze systems of oppression. They can be used to analyze authority figures. They can be used to analyze the systems that we've come to expect to be the status quo in order to find ways to change them. Uh, so earlier this year, we got the opportunity to see exactly what happens when young people stand up and demand change with the March for Our Lives. What we want to do with Get Media Lit and with the projects that we have our students doing is create the March for Our Lives in every classroom in the United States, but hyper-targeted to issues local to those communities. Because students know what we want to change. We know what we, find, we know what we're uncomfortable with. We know what needs to happen in order to make the world a better place, but we don't feel like we can do anything about it. Especially when it comes to media, we get told to be realistic, we get told we're not old enough, we get told to go focus on something else. But with media literacy, we can take student voice and not only embrace it, but give them the tools to amplify it, to create change in their communities where they live. So if I'm a principal mm -hmm. and I wanted to look at the socio-emotional mm -hmm. aspect, I want to bring this into my school, yes. where can I find that information? Can you give us your website? Yeah, so if you go to lit.weirdenoughproductions.com, uh, there's a field there where you can put your email address, your first name, and your last name. In a couple of weeks, once we launch Wave 2 of the platform, you'll hear from us. Uh, you can also go to weirdenoughproductions.com, where you'll have the opportunity to look at some of the comics and see some of the things we feature on the platform. So I saw the comics. I was very impressed, but I'm even more impressed to find out that you guys drew those comics yourselves. Yes, 100%. We do all, all of our production, all of the content we make, from the stories, the lesson plan, the content, it's all done in-house. Our, our basic belief is that we just left the classroom, so who knows the better way to affect students that are in there right now? Because we were just there. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I think you had a chance to talk to the principal because I'm very impressed. Hey, thank uh, you. Lastly, before we go, yes. um, we also we always want to end with what advice can you give to a new principal, a principal that's 
the principal at a charter school yes or maybe a principal who's been on for a long time what advice can you give them from your perspective oh this one's great because for context uh, my mom's been in public education for the last 30 years wow. and was actually a principal for about 12 of those years she's a regional superintendent now uh, so growing up under my mom I learned a lot about what it takes to make a building run and, and kind of what it takes to make things work at a school level I think that the largest thing that I got from my mom that I feel works for a school or any organization, any community of people, is if you don't create the culture of your building, your building will tell you what its culture is. As a leader of a building, it's really important for you uh, to, from a macro level, think about how do I want my faculty members to feel? How do I want my staff to feel? How do I want my students to feel? And to take deliberate steps in order to accomplish that culture. Because if you don't, something else is going to appear, and you're going to be more focused on backpedaling and fixing it than putting in place the vision you have. My brother, big dollars. You get the big dollar award. Hey. I love it. Great job. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much for the interview, and I wish you the very best. Thank you. is responsible for teaching students how to use technology in the classroom? Okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna get your help with, with this answer a little bit, okay? I'm, I'm gonna call out some folks and I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what you think about it also. All right. So I, I believe that, you know, when it's in the classroom, then I, I think the teacher's responsible. Well, how do you feel about that? I agree. Okay, good. Ching. <laughs> Um, and because I, I, I think that you know that's one of their 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 job duties and and one of their requirements as a teacher uh, to present the te te technology and to show them various ways of using it and, and 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 yeah and exactly and how to use the technology. Right. Uh, when it's in the computer lab, I think it's the, the computer instruction tech, the SITs. What do you think? I agree with that. Okay, good. We're two for two then. Yeah. Uh, I think the SITs may have knowledge regarding, you know, hardware and software use uh, that the classroom teacher may not. Now, when it involves learning at home, this is where we may have a little a, a difference of opinion. Okay. Uh, particular with cell phones and other smartphones uh, and other smart items, uh, I believe it's the parents that's responsible. And and there we go, ding ding ding. I okay. totally agree with All that right. one too. Yeah. Three for three. Three for three. Yeah, because I think parents should talk about privacy issues, uh, what students can and can't uh, place uh, do on their phone. I think parents should also place controls uh, on certain applications uh, so the kids won't, the students won't misuse their phones. Uh, but in the school, uh, it is the principal who leads and monitors students' learning of technology. Hey, man, I see we hit all the nails on all the heads. Yeah, so okay, okay. Um, it is. it takes a village, as we've said before Absolutely. on our show, that it Absolutely. takes a village to. So I have another trick question for you. All right. And uh, this is a tricky one. I'm mm -hmm. just going to go ahead and throw it out. Okay. So can students be prepared for tomorrow's future using yesterday's technology? Well, you know, I believe one of the most fascinating elements about technology is that it is consistently changing and it changes for the best. Case in point, you know, I used to have an iPhone 5 when you first met me, man. <laughs> and you told me at that time, you said, hey, man, that thing two or three years old. For what we're trying to accomplish, it ain't going to get it done. And you were right. It, it did not. It did it, not. It, it did not. 
So, uh, you know, it's no longer effective to date. And now I think it's the, you know, we're into the iPhones 10s or iPhones 11s. Yeah. So this, the same changes that we see and we need in adults in our work, I think students need that same change as, as uh, in technology in the classroom. Uh, so to answer your question, educators must provide students with as much new and updated digital technology as possible in order to keep them prepared for tomorrow. As a leader, what have you done to encourage technology integration in your schools? Well, well let's, let's go back. As a classroom teacher, you know, I discovered the positive impact that technology had on student learning. Uh-huh. So when I became a principal, I began investing a substantial amount of my school budget each year in upgrading technology in the classroom. I'm very proud to say that I'm a member of the ITEEA, that's the International Technology and Engineer Educators Association. But some other things that I've done in the school is that I've constructed multiple uh, computer labs. I've placed integrated smart boards in every classroom. I've provided classroom sets of uh, laptops and iPads for each student. Uh, had opportunity also to rewire an entire building one time, one of my schools. Uh, we, uh, we didn't have internet access access, so we rewired the entire building to have internet access. Uh, I provided some take-home laptops and hotspots for students to check out. Uh, As you know, for the most part, my schools were all title schools, so a lot of time my kids didn't have the hardware or the software at home, and so we provided that for them, and uh, like you want to say something. I really do just want to say, because that right now is like a cutting-edge thing, Mm -hmm. that you have a lending library, especially for those students um, who would need the technology at home, right. the hotspots, exactly. along with the computers to right. go along with those hotspots. That that is oh. that is right on time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. A lot of times, man, the students need the uh, the technology in order to complete homework assignments, do group assignments, and those type of things. And so we we you know we try to cut out all barriers that. Uh, impede on them being successful in school. So we allow them to, yeah, we allow them to check out. Right. And, and another thing I like about that, and I, I'm just going to go a little bit off the script on this one, is that the main reason that you're incorporating technology into instruction is for that instant feedback. Absolutely. Right. So Absolutely. that students will know what they need to know and what they need to work on. That's a powerful point. Yeah, that, that, that yeah, I agree. I agree with you. You know, also, we I implemented that project Lead the Way into my school. We had aerospace engineering project, and we, we had a 3D printer and wind tunnel, so the students were very proficient in using that. Uh, always provided professional development training for teachers. I implemented a Tech Thursdays, where we had professional development every two, well, twice out of the month, uh, on Thursdays. Um, yeah, every other Thursday is what I'm trying to uh-huh. yeah, say. Yeah. We, uh, we allowed uh, teachers to, uh, when we didn't lie, it was mandatory that teachers uh, received um, the technology training. And uh, I started a digital technology committee uh, with my staff. Okay. So I had about eight or ten members on there. And what we do is we research the, uh, the most current uh, technology software and hardware. And uh, we bring in presenters to kind of show us how that can use, be used to benefit our students. And when I ask it, everybody's going to know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But why is it important for the leader to embrace technology? Okay. Well, well, you know, uh, I, I guess right off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to mind is because um, when leaders, uh, when they are focused on and a particular initiative in the school, then everyone kind of lines up behind them and become focused on that initiative also. 
So if technology is uh, is is at the forefront, uh, then and the leader is leading in the right direction on it, I think then then other uh, then teachers and will and students will follow. But I believe also it's important for the leader to embrace technology because it's, it's what's best for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, knowledge of and the ability to effectively use technology enriches lives. It provides opportunities for living successfully and it creates avenues for innovative and unlocking potential in all kids. And uh, by the way, you know, isn't that what the purpose of schools are all about? You know, that's that's really what it's all about. And mm-hmm. just to just drop something else in there, we know that 60 percent of the jobs that kindergartners are going to be applying for right. haven't even been created yet. Oh, absolutely. And so we really need to focus on how students are going to be using technology in the future. I agree. And I think once again, I think that that information that you just gave, uh, uh, I think leaders need to be aware of that and um, and know that in order for kids to be successful and live successful lives, then uh, technology is going to be a huge part of it. We've had a great episode. Yes, we have. Yeah, I want you to go ahead and and put a bow on it for us. Wrap it up. All right. How many many knots you want me to tie it in? (laughs) (laughs) Double knot. Here we go, Will. So, you know, to be a school principal in contemporary times strongly demands having a grasp and understanding of how technology benefits your students and also the community. When students become knowledgeable in the use of computer hardware and program, it aids in the growth of their environment and community. Using technology in the classroom to support and enhance student learning is a fundamental tool for teaching in modern times. Yet, across the United States, there continue to exist a digital divide between urban, suburban, rural, and affluent schools. My question to school leaders is, how do we fix this? Thank you for another great episode. Well, thank you, Will. It was. It was a very good episode and a lot of good information. Yeah, very informative. i also like to thank our special guest who gave us some sound bites at ISTE. Yeah, whoopee. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, what is our next episode? Well, our next episode, Will, unfortunately, the summer is coming to an end. Yeah. And uh, we're getting ready to start the new school year. So we're going to talk about how principals impact the startup of a new school year. Okay, great. That's look forward to it. Yeah. How principals impact the start of a new school year. There you go. All right, leadership at its finest. There you go, each and every day. Next episode. Yeah. and opinions expressed during this or any broadcast belong solely to our guests or our hosts. These broadcasts do not represent or reflect the views of their employers, sponsors, or affiliated organizations.